0: Hi, my name is Ava Langridge, and I'm here to help you become a climate activist. On this episode of Let's Talk Climate, Nayeli Kobo and I chat about environmental injustice, the importance of storytelling in the environmental movement, and how one person can have such a big and genuine impact on their community. We also talk about the oil extraction site that was located across from Nayeli's home and the consequences it had on her health. Hey, Nayeli, can you please start by briefly introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, of course. My name is Nayeli Kobo. I'm 22 years old and I am a climate justice activist and have been since I was nine years old, um, proud co-founder of People Not Pozos and the South Central Youth Leadership Coalition.
0: First of all, welcome. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. So you just said at the age of nine, you became a climate activist. You began fighting against oil extraction and unfortunately, you directly suffer the consequences of um, oil pollution. Can you tell us your story from the nosebleeds when you were young to the definitive closure of Allen Coe's oil drilling operations that were located near you in South LA?
1: I'd love to. So like you said, I grew up in South Los Angeles and at the age of nine, I started getting really sick. I was always a healthy little girl, so to have these nosebleeds and stomach pains start popping up so frequently, it was cause for alarm for not only me, but for my mom. So I um, started getting really sick, and I i live with my mom. I'm a proud daughter of a single mother. I lived with my three siblings, my both of my great-grandparents and my grandma. So it was a four-generation household, and even to this day, we're all best friends. And to have me getting sick all of a sudden was cause for alarm. Um, it got to the point where I it wasn't just me getting sick or just my family. It was most of my community. It became a common conversation starter for parents to stop each other on the streets and say, hey, my daughter is in the hospital because of an asthma attack. How's your son's asthma? Or my son is in the hospital. Can you pick up my other kids from school today and we'll figure it out later? That's how we would greet each other. And it's heartbreaking and sad. And that's that shouldn't be the way you greet each other in a community. I developed asthma and something I'm always going to have to live with now. I had body spasms so intense I couldn't walk. My mom would have to carry me from place to place. Stomach pains, headaches. I had nosebleeds that got so intense I couldn't sleep in my own bed anymore. I would legit have to sleep in a chair to prevent choking on my own blood at night. And no matter how, t- how much time has passed, those things do stay with you. And those things push me to fight twice as hard, three times as hard because it defined my childhood. Those moments for me not being able to play outside in order to limit my exposure to toxins. For me reading about acidizing and fracking instead of the Magic Treehouse series Those were all defining moments in my childhood that I had robbed of me because of my zip code. And I often get asked why I fight or why I started and I fight because I believe everyone has a right to breathe clean air. I believe clean air is a basic human right that should not be denied to anyone because of their gender, their age, their ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or zip code. We live in the United States in a progressive developed nation And in 2023, we are still denying people that. There are 18 million Americans living a mile or less to an oil and gas well. And that has to change.
0: Become such a wonderful activist because of it. Um, It is unfortunate, the consequences and the side effects that had to happen for that to be the case. According to UNHCR, grassroots groups are primarily made up of civilians advocating a cause to spur change at local national or international levels you are the co-founder of south central youth leadership coalition and the co-founder of people not posos what type of work does each grassroots community do
1: so first of all, i love that definition of grassroots because that's exactly what it is it was People Not Pulse so was the grassroots campaign in my community that primarily fights to shut down the oil well in my community. I grew up 30 feet across the street from an active oil and gas well called Allenco Energy, and they operate on land that is leased to them by the archdiocese. Just because they operate on land leased to them by the archdiocese, it does not make them holy emissions. And it's it's honestly another way that the church is abusing children. And as someone that has gone to Catholic school, her entire life because of what they have taught me, the beliefs and morals that they have instilled in me for the 12 years of my life going there and being educated with them. I do feel like it is my job to call them out on being hypocrites. You know, they would always tell us, ask yourself what Jesus would do, think of the golden rule, protect God's creation, love your neighbors. But I can proudly say, I don't, I know, think, I don't know. I don't think Jesus would choose profit over people's health. And that's exactly what the church is doing. So in my community in South LA, our parents started these conversations, like I mentioned earlier, and People Not False really started because of our moms. It was our moms who wanted better for us, our moms who were in search of a better life for us when they came to this country. I'm a very proud daughter of two immigrants. My mom came here from Mexico and my dad from Colombia. And something my mom has always said is when she came to this country, she never thought she'd have to fight an oil well. And that's the, oh, I get teary-eyed to saying it. That's the reality for so many other people that come here in hopes of giving us a life they could only dream of. And the reality is that whether it's because of our socioeconomic status, or zip code, or language, our ethnicity, we are being poisoned, right, in our homes. So People Not bolsos, and I know I went on a tangent, <laughs> People Not bolsos fights to shut down the oil well in my community. We fight to shut it down, and a goal of ours and a dream of ours is to have the land cleaned and detoxified and then given back to us as a community. We deserve, we should choose what that land should be used for, whether it's a community park, affordable housing, a school, anything but a toxic silent killer. With South Central Youth Leadership Coalition, or SILC for short, we were a handful of youth, 14 to 17-year-olds, who felt the need to demand our city listen to us. We felt the need to demand our city give us a city to inherit and a a just sustainable city at that we decided that if our elected officials weren't going to listen to us with our signs outside if we had to walk up those city hall steps and file a lawsuit in order to be heard we were going to do that and we were not afraid Of course, big oil uses intimidation tactics and the Petroleum Association and all of that good stuff. So we also were countersued by them on the terms that we raised their drilling costs and we have no right to tell them where to drill. Sorry, we sued the city of Los Angeles back in 2015 for violation of the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA for short, so many long names, and environmental racism. And it was a successful lawsuit. We won via settlement, but we won. And um, it resulted in a new application itself when applying to open or expand drill oil wells in Los Angeles and a memorandum. Then we were countersued by the Petroleum Association, that we raised their drilling costs and that ultimately we have no right to tell them where to drill. We lost, unfortunately. Um, So then we appealed it and we won that. Then they sued us asking us to pay all of their attorney fees, which would come out to $750,000. Petroleum Association suing 14-year-olds for that kind of money. I remember it (laughs) but I that I was like, I can't buy myself a happy meal. Like, where am I going to get this kind of money from? Um, But it just goes to show their intimidation tactics that if you can sue, I can sue. But at the end of the day, I had this conversation with my mom was that they are going to use all of their tactics in their books. But the fact that they are fighting back means that they are the ones that are intimidated and that we're doing the right thing. So that's something that I've always held in the back of my head. So when we were countersued and we had all these little things, I was like, we're doing the right thing. Just keep going. <laughs> that's
0: such a beautiful way to put it. I mean, they're, like you just said, clearly intimidated. Um, Congratulations on the wins you, you did get. And is it currently still in the process or would you say it's pretty much ended as of now?
1: That one has ended. What we're in the process for right now is, so Los Angeles is currently the largest urban oil field in the nation. There are about 580,000 Angelenos living within a quarter of a mile or less to an active oil and gas well. In the state of California, it's 3.2 million Californians living within a quarter of a mile or less to an active or idle oil and gas well. And idle wells matter because if they're not capped and closed properly, they can continue to leak methane in the air, which is the most impactful greenhouse gas. Um, so that's also really important to highlight. So, yes, with last year and earlier this year as well, so many voting sessions, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and the Los Angeles City Council both voted unanimously to phase out all oil and gas wells in the city with a just transition and that is a historic win that is that was made possible because of a frontline community in South LA that decided to stand up regardless of all of the barriers put against them they decided to raise their fists in the air and take on the streets regardless of the language barrier, regardless of their work schedules. um, My community, it's made up of the most beautiful, hardworking people I know. My mom had to work two jobs, up to three jobs, to be able to provide for us. And that's, I know that's not just my reality, but the reality for so many other parents. And That's one of the things that really inspired me to speak up when I was younger, was seeing how my mom, after working two to three jobs, would take the streets and go door-to-door knocking, how a neighbor who did not speak English would say, tell me what houses only speak Spanish and I will handle those. And maybe this USC student can only do the English ones and then they're this new dynamic duo and everything is possible. It was seeing how people after working 14 hour days were still willing to go to knock door to door for three hours after work. That on their one day off in two weeks, they were willing to show up at city hall and share their story. This historic win was because of them. And my community in South LA was viewed as invisible, as silent, as something that could be tossed aside. And the fact that we turned that negativity into something not only positive for our community, but for communities across the city of Los Angeles, that's an incredible badass accomplishment, if I say so.
0: (laughs) definitely is and once again congratulations um on that win it's really really inspiring to hear how community can come together and genuinely create such a big impact it just shows the strength in community and how it takes more than one person but each individual is still so, so very important i want to reemphasize the statistic you shared at the beginning And so in an Instagram post, you said that over 3.8 million Angelenos live in a quarter or less to an active or idle oil and gas well in the city of Los Angeles. This is just one example highlighting the environmental injustice marginalized communities face. What is a story of environmental injustice that has
1: stuck with you? For me, environmental injustice is when someone is denied the right to breathe clean air, denied access to clean, safe drinking water, denied access to all of the elements of a safe, nurturing, sustainable environment because of their race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, or zip code, or age, gender. It's something that you are deserving of in order to flourish and grow and thrive that is being denied to us for X amounts of reasons. That's an environmental injustice. And an example, and I've spoken about this before, and whenever I bring about this example, it is never to talk about the, the other community. It's just to simply highlight the injustice between two different zip codes. That being said, in January of 2011, Alan Go had a week-long leak. The emissions were so horrible. Even thinking about it, I, I get sick. The When drilling for oil, there are a lot of chemicals and toxins that are released into the air and used. And it often smells like rotten eggs. It's a really bad smell. Alan Go would go the extra mile and add even more chemicals to mask the smell of rotten egg. so then the community could smell like guava, cherries, chocolate was a big one they used um, to cover their tracks, you know, and try to make it better in a way, more fruity. I don't know. During this week-long leak, my community called the South Coast Air Quality Management District, and we placed over 300 complaints within one single week. There was also Aliso Canyon's big blowout And I know that it was different extremes, but when they had their blowout and they were leaking and the emissions were also foul, all of their community was relocated. Well, we had asked for that. They said, the emissions are not that bad. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. And we weren't. You know, those emissions stay with you and you can't help but wonder if Those emissions cause something to deteriorate your health in the future. That's something that's always racing in the back of your mind, no matter how healthy you are, no matter how much time has gone. You think about that. And that simple difference of being relocated when there is a leak or not, it makes you question why. It makes you question are you not worthy enough to breathe clean air? Am I not deserving to breathe clean air? Is, is I, so many things race through your head. And I was 10 going on 11 at this time. So all I could think about was that how someone who wasn't looking at me, who wasn't paying attention to me, an elected official in power, it felt as though they were looking at me without ever meeting me and saying, you don't deserve to breathe clean air. And again, that simple relocation or not relocating matter Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference, not only within our our systems, but within our health, when we are not exposed to those toxic emissions, when they're trying to clean the systems and they're trying to update the filters and the pipes and all of that, that stays. Thank you um, for sharing that. I think it's
0: something we need to hear more of and directly from the people that are affected by this. It just reemphasizes the point and the importance of storytelling and how it's essential in the environmental movement. Why do you believe that's true?
1: I believe storytelling is a very compelling form of activism. And when I started at the age of nine, In all honesty, I didn't even learn the word activist until I was 11 when a reporter had asked me, what does it feel like to be an activist? And I remember I paused it and I was like, please tell me what an activist is because that is a new word. And she was like, oh, okay. Um, She gave me her explanation and I was like, oh, I got this. Roll the camera. I was like, my community is made up of activists. We started doing these things. We started door-to-door knocking, we started going to town hall meetings without ever thinking we were activists. We didn't, I know I didn't wake up one morning and decide I want to become an activist today. My activism was born out of survival. It was born out of my wanting to open my windows in my home, my wanting to be able to play outside the way I see it on Zach and Cody on TV, you know, it was, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be a kid. And to not have to worry if me roller skating outside would cause me issues in the future. I realized that by sharing my story, that could change. By me simply sharing what I was going through on a day-to-day basis, what my body has gone through, what I've survived, what I've overcome, what my community has overcome, that could simply make a difference. And I grew up extremely, extremely shy. Like I, nobody believes it now, but I was attached to my mom by the hip. I would not speak to my own shadow. It was really bad. Like I was only my crazy self, I guess you could say, with inside of my apartment with my great grandparents, my siblings and my mom and my grandma. And when they first asked me, can you speak on this issue? I was 10 years old and I remember saying, well, first of all, I don't even like doing class performances, like going in class presentations. I'm performance. Where did that come from? Uh presentations. Um so why would I do this? Like it just didn't feel it felt like I was supposed to do it and I knew that, but it was so intimidating. The fact that it wasn't for a grade, it was me deciding to walk up to a microphone and speak to a bunch of strangers older strangers as a matter of fact I was in a room full of grown-ups as a 10 year old that was pretty intimidating in my little schoolgirl uniform it wasn't as just with my classmates where I could look at my best friend and go "Mm, okay whatever and it made it better it was I was in a room full of grown grown grown-ups in my nine-year-old mind 10 year old mind and I remember my legs were shaking as I walked up to the microphone but as soon as I started speaking, I felt the sense of peace and security, and my legs stopped shaking. I had a solid little steady voice, and by the end of it, I felt really cool. I remember I told my siblings, I was like, guys, I spoke, I killed it. I had my little speech on my little note cards, and the night before, I practiced on all of my siblings. I remember I would ask them, okay, if you had just heard of the speech, would you still be for extraction? And I would go like this, tell me, tell me you got it. And they would be like, no, I would, I would divest all of my money and they would go on these crazy, beautiful explanations for me. And I was like, yes, yes, that's what I was going for. To know that simply sharing your story. And that's something that always intimidated me about my activism growing up was what do I share? I don't know all of the scientific terms. I was in elementary school. I was barely learning how to add, I guess. I don't even know what you do in elementary school now. Um, My mom told me, by you sharing what you go through on a day-to-day basis is more than enough. She was like, you don't have to know all of the scientific terms, all of the legal terms. First of all, you're in elementary school. Secondly, you just started. She gave me the example of when you started first grade, did you know everything? Could you answer two plus five? And I was like, no, I don't know what she asked me, but that's a question I can think of now. And she was like, by the end of the year, could you answer that five plus seven question? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, okay, you've been an activist for a week. Relax. <laughs> like You don't have to take it so hard on yourself. You just started. She was like, and secondly, you're an elementary schooler in a room full of people with doctorate degrees, with master's, with college degrees, this isn't a level playing field. And that's something that's always kept me pushing was whenever I do feel imposter syndrome, whenever I walk into the room, I know that I was, I try to tell myself that I was invited to that room for a reason, that I was invited to represent my community for a reason and whatever I can share, my knowledge, my expertise on urban oil extraction and grassroots organizing stems from that and will always come from a place of love and gratitude so i always try to tell myself that if i'm sharing my story as wholeheartedly and intentionally as possible with the sole intention of creating change and inspiring at least one person in the room to share their story it's going to be a domino effect from here on out and your story is something no one can take from you, regardless of your education, how much knowledge you have, regardless of your language. Your story stays with you, whether you're speaking on it or not. And I think that's it. it everyone has a story that deserves to be heard.
0: Well, that's beautifully phrased, um, that everyone has a story and you can't take it away from them. Environmental racism, which is different from environmental injustice is defined by World Economic Forum as a form of systemic racism, whereby communities of color are disproportionately burdened with health hazards through policies and practices that force them to live in proximity to sources of toxic waste, such as sewage work, mines, landfills, power stations, major roads, and emitters of airborne particulate matter, which in your instance um, was oil drilling. How can individuals and institutions dismantle environmental racism?
1: That's a great question. I think, first of all, there's a lot of work to do because environmental racism, like you just said, was built off systemic racism. So in order to dismantle environmental racism, we have to tackle systemic racism. And in order to do that, we have to become educated on the issue. We have to learn the backbones of why systemic racism was even a thing in the first place. We have to learn about why there are stop signs in more affluent communities and there are no stop signs in in communities like mine. Why freeways were built. Freeways were actually built in order to get over my community. So you wouldn't have to pass through them. And stop signs, are because the view is so beautiful you you kind of want to take your time in those cities and that that raises some questions um so in order to talk about environmental racism and dismantling that system like i said we have to talk about systemic racism is it racism systemic racism um I think the first step is becoming educated. The second is listening to frontline communities. No one knows better the issues firsthand than frontline communities, the people that live there on the day-to-day basis, the people who are living the effects. And the last thing that we would need feel that we need and want as a frontline community is a savior. We don't need someone coming from outside perspective saying, I know exactly how to save you guys. I know what you need. Here's X, Y, and Z without ever visiting our community first. It's important to listen to us. It's important to give us the platform to share our stories, to raise awareness on the issues that we are experts on. You know, we don't know everything. I don't know all the legal and scientific terms, but when it comes to what your body feels when you're exposed to an oil well, I can most definitely speak on that. I can most definitely speak on the fact that when drilling for oil, the disproportionate changes and differences when applying for oil wells in affluent city, in a low-income city. I grew up next to 21 oil wells underground. The oil well would produce 60 to 80 barrels of crude oil a day. And that is more than the average. The fact that they were never capped, they were never limited, speaks on environmental racism. And my community deserves better. And so many other communities across the world deserve better.
0: I really like that you emphasized on the importance of listening to these communities. I think just having this conversation alone, I don't face this on a day-to-day basis. I haven't had to go through this. And so while I can't relate directly, I think listening to your story I can then bring it into the activism that I do um, and it definitely will shape next steps and actions that I do take so it just demonstrates once again the importance of listening to what you have to say to what your communities have to say to marginalized communities and the ones that are facing this climate environment or this environmental injustice but you talked a lot about your mom's influence on your work and your activism as an activist herself Please share more about her. Tell us about her and how she's had such an impact on you.
1: Yeah, my mom is my best friend. She really is. I probably tell her a little bit too much. Um, she's my mom and my dad mixed into one. She's also my caregiver when I was diagnosed with cancer. And even now, um, she's my nurse. She's everything rolled into one, you know, um, a jack of all trades. See that as an immigrant, as someone who came here without the language, with a single mother to four kids, she was always willing to put in the work. She's always been someone who has led by example. If she said, ne- never let an injustice go by because you're afraid, she made sure to never let an injustice go by because she was afraid. She made sure to always say, pick up your trash and don't litter." and all of us were raised with, if we see trash, we pick it up. Doesn't matter if it's ours, because my mom would say, it's not your trash, but it is your planet. And that's something that's always t- stuck with me. And I'm like, damn, that is, that needs to be on a bumper sticker or something, mom. Like, I don't know where you came up with that, where you heard of that, but that is top tier. And whenever I pick up random trash, I know that my friends are used to it now, um, but before they'd be like, dude. You're, you might get sick. Like That's not something that's... And I was like, I'd always just say that it's not my trash, but it is my planet. And I remember my best friend, she went... She started looking for trash. She was like, all right, all right, I got this. Like, We will do this. And to see that my mom has had not only an inspiration and change within me, but through me with my friends, with my nephews, with my nieces, that's something that's so beautiful. The fact that her teachings and beliefs are something that now we're getting to share with my friends, with my nieces and nephews is really beautiful. And my mom is the most hardworking person I know. She would work up to three jobs to be able to provide for us. And even after working three days, three jobs, she would still go home and play with me. And no matter how tired she was, which now I know it was exhaustion in her eyes, but then I was like, oh, she got this special glisten in her eyes. It's that mama's love. And no matter how exhausted she was, she would sit down and have a tea party with me. She would sit down and listen to me read a chapter of the new book I had to read. It was, she was always there. And she was not only always there for me, but for the community. She was always the the door that you could always knock on no matter the time. If you were having an issue, if you needed something, my mom would be there. So I've always had that sense of love for my community because I've seen it in her. She has always insulted me that I have to be an important, uh, like viable community member that I have to be, I can't just live in a community and not serve it. I have to do something to give back to it. I have to give back. I have to leave my community better than I came into it. And that, is something that has also always pushed me to fight twice as hard, three times as hard, because if my community had the entire world put against them, all of the barriers, language, the financial, the job securities and the job schedules, and they were putting in the work for us, how could I not do the same when I had the language, when I was able-bodied enough to go door-to-door knocking, and I had a set schedule, because I would always get out at three. You know, there is no getting around it. How could I not do what they were doing for me, for them? And to see that my mom never forced it on us, it was, you can do this if you want. To have that willingness and that openness for my mom is... She's a badass. <laughs> she really is. She's my hero. She's amazing. And she's one of the main reasons why I fight as well.
0: I want to meet your mom. She sounds like a <laughs> person. It just is a perfect story to just show you that one person can then impact family and community. And eventually, this has been the domino effect and has closed down an oil drilling. Site, so it just it just shows you like take action do the best that you can and show up show up for your community because at the end of the day it does it does have an impact what are some of the biggest mistakes you have made as an environmental climate activist and if you could what advice would you offer to your nine-year-old self
1: i've never been asked this question that's that's a good one damn all right um i feel like i've made a few (laughs) um I mean at the end of the day you're human so
0: that's part of the process
1: that Hannah Montana song nobody's perfect let's cue that right now (laughs) um I think oh maybe it'll come to me I'm gonna do the the advice first an advice I would give to my nine-year-old self is to be patient um, and to know that it's going to be two separate layers. One for me personally, and one as nine-year-old activist, me, for me personally, is to know that to have patience and that things will get better. I've never really spoken about this, but I was bullied a lot in school and it, third grade through Seventh grade was the worst, but some bits and pieces in high school, and I think that's what with little nine year old would need to hear is that it gets better. It got to the point where I wanted to be homeschooled because going to school was too much. It was it got really bad, and that's that's what I would need to hear, and maybe a hug. The other for for activist me would be to know that change is coming to not be afraid and that things are going to get really scary for three to four years but at the end of the day there's there's light in that tunnel something I've also never really I've spoken about it but not in detail was the fact that my mom and I and my family were under the witness protection program for a few years and never been able to prove why but it's always been safe to assume it was because of my activism so when that happens you do start to question not only am i risking my life and you know that but you feel like you're risking your families at that point and that's a really tough pill to swallow at the age of 14 um so yeah i think that's what i would need to hear um mistakes i've made i think i've made the mistake of of putting too much pressure on myself. I, not that I would think I'm the only one who can do this, but I've always had this great sense of responsibility that it is my job to do it. It is my job to represent my community, it's my job to be a voice for my community, to be a voice of change, of positive change within my community. And I think I've made the mistake for far too long since the age of nine of putting too much pressure on myself, of not allowing me space to always be just a 10-year-old, just a 15-year-old, just a 22-year-old. I'm starting to get better now, but it is something that I still struggle with. I think that has been one of my biggest struggles
0: Thank you for for sharing those aspects. I think it's difficult to share. And but once again, I think it's or I'm assuming it's shaped you into who you are today. And I think it's all part of the process and wonderful things that I mean, not so wonderful things that contribute to being a wonderful person. Just focus on what you can do now and focus on what you can do today. And yes, obviously, the bigger picture is so important, but you can't take all of this on as an individual in one go take it do what you can now and take it bit by bit um, and eventually it will amass to something I mean as you've experienced from the age of nine at first it was just small steps and now it's become such a big thing take your time with it and don't put as much pressure on yourself as you think there needs to be. I would like to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast today. I have genuinely learned so much. I think the way your form of storytelling is amazing. You've definitely touched me and hopefully the listeners as well. And I will be taking quite a bit of what you said with me into my activism, especially just speaking up for marginalized communities and focusing on that in the actions i do take. Thank you so much for for joining us today and for for sharing your story.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening and and again thank you for for allowing me the space to share my story with others. Like you said earlier earlier all it takes is that one person for that domino effect to create change and Yeah, thank you. <laughs>